0: You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network.
1: Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host,
0: Andrew Gerza. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really... Fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that, that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's dark Content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on all things disability, or sometimes it's the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I am your Disabled Dick Smith, Andrew Gerza. I am here to do all the things with you and shine a bright light on all the things, and that's what we're going to do today. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started, y'all. Not really sure why I said y'all again. It just kind of came out there, but let's get the show started. First things first, I need to give a shout-out to the awesome people that help keep this show going via the Patreon, and they pledge their hard-earned dollars to keep the lights shining on all things disability here at Disability After Dark. And the the person that I want to give a shout-out today is my new friend that I am so excited to tell you about. Her name, we've been following each other on social media for a few years, and we actually are going to collaborate on some things together. Her name is Alexis Hilliard. She is somebody with a limb difference and, with, and she's an amputee and she runs a really cool YouTube channel out of Canada called Stump Kitchen where she, she sits down with disabled kids and disabled people and teaches them how to cook and makes a meal and does really cool stuff like that so we have always wanted to support each other and the other day she was like let's jump on a call and I, I, I was throwing around some ideas for her and I to work together, and she was like, well, I want to support your work. So she put down $5 to support Disability After Dark, and that means a whole lot to me, which means that she she and I are going to build some episodes together. On a new show, we're going to do all about food and disability. So that's coming soon. That'll be coming soon to... um, We're going to do a whole new feed. We're going to start a whole new show. We talked about it, but it's going to come on this feed at some point. I'm going to drop in an episode here and there so you can listen to it, but really excited about that, and she went to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledged $5 a month. If you want to do that and support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, and if you pledge any denomination, you'll get the show one day early, so rather than listening to it on Wednesday, Thursday, you'll listen to it on Wednesday, and you'll get a weird, awkward shout-out from me, kind of like the one I gave just there, uh, maybe maybe more awkward, but you'll get a shout-out from me, and a thank you for for pledging, so if you want to do that, patreon.com disabilityafterdark, I really appreciate all the support, as this show is pretty much fully independently produced here in my bedroom, so it means a lot, alright, but now let's get to today's show. Today's show is probably going to be the most political show that I've ever done about anything ever, and I'll I'll explain to you why. So I did an episode with my friend Carson Tuller a few weeks ago, which you heard on the feed here. We did an episode, and then I was just bumming around on Twitter one day, and I got an email from someone named Jonathan Herzog, who I had never heard of before, I didn't know who this person was, and he emailed me and says, "I I know your friend Carson, I just heard your interview, it was really great, and I really admire what you're doing and I'd love to talk to you. He's like, I'm running for Congress and I want to be on your show. And I was like, holy fuck. I'm a little Canadian boy. I didn't ever think that I'd have somebody from Congress hitting me up to be on my show. What? He reached out to me and he said, I live with a, I grew up with a stutter and I have kind of invisible disabilities and I'd love to come on your show and talk about that. And I was like, okay, cool. So we sit down together and we get to talk talk about how Jonathan Herzog is running in New York, in the 10th district of New York. He's running for Congress on a platform of universal basic income. And I thought this was a great opportunity to sit down with him and talk about disability in American politics and his experiences with the stutter. We talk a little bit about his experiences um, kind of navigating whether or not he feels like he's disabled. And it was a really important conversation because I think It's really fun for me to sit down with people who are not in the same place I am and are not having the same journey I am when it comes to where they are and their understanding of their own experience of disability. And it was really interesting to sit down with um, Jonathan and talk about whether or not he felt like his, his, um, his vocal discontinuity, as he calls it, is really considered a disability or not, and we kind of we kind of have that discussion. And then we talk about, you know, um, U.S. politics, and, and he kind of explains what Congress is to me, because I'm in Canada, so our political system is vastly different. But what's not different in both these systems in Canada and the U.S. is the need for, I believe, universal basic incomes. We also talk a lot about that. It was a really fun, important conversation, and one... One that I never really thought I would do on this show, but I was really proud to have him on. And I was really honored when he asked me, when he slid into my DMs one day and just said, I want to be on your show. I'm running for Congress. I felt very official and I felt it was like really cool that my little show that I make in my bedroom in Toronto is reaching people that are running for Congress. Wow. So like, it was just really cool to have him on and I'm excited now to share my interview with... Future Congressman Jonathan Herzog, right now on Disability After Dark. Amazing. Jonathan Herzog, hello. 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 (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. This was the most official DM that I've ever received in my inbox.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: For somebody wanting to come on a little show about sexuality and disability that I thought nobody would pay attention to or listen to and then I get an email from a from somebody running for Congress what the I was like oh I literally had to be like what is happening what's going on
1: Um, (laughs) don't don't sell yourself short I mean as I was saying congratulations and thank you thank you for the work you're doing and I mean it's it's freaking awesome
0: I appreciate that why don't you Jonathan Herzog introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience and tell us who you are and what you do today
1: Totally. Um, Well I am Jonathan Herzog. I am running for Congress now in New York's 10th district, which is the west side of Manhattan and South Brooklyn. Um, It covers the neighborhood, so that is Hell's Kitchen and Chelsea and West Village and Greenwich Village. Um, And I am running um, in large part on um, a platform of a universal basic income which in simple terms is a thousand bucks a month for each and every single one of us um, as a way of setting a new floor below which no one can fall.
0: That's such a great idea. Um, And it's something, you know, I live in, I live in Canada, so it's, it's our politics is slightly different. And so, (laughs) but, but the idea of universal basic income is something that we, in certain parts of the province of Ontario, we've trialed it here. And then our government, yeah. being as ridiculous as they were, decided that they didn't like it anymore and slashed it. But for the few months that it was here, the select few that trialed it said it changed their life said it made their Yes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting, because actually a lot of the really compelling data came out of Canada. Um, and to your point, it was just suddenly stopped, um, even though it had... Just
0: like abruptly stopped. Yeah. And I remember reading people were like they would say, people they would be asked by like the news outlets in Canada like hey what what was so good about UBI for you what was so good about this universal basic income trial that you were trying and they would say things like oh I'm disabled and I got to go have dinner with friends and I got to go have a life and I got to go feel like right. you know my money was had value and I got to go feel like I got to go do stuff and it shows just how a little bit of forethought in this area can really change someone's life and it's not just about the money it's about what what can you what can that money do to somebody to give them a quality of life
1: yes oh gosh you put it so so well it is about everything but the money um it's about to your point the freedom to do the work we want to do live the lives we want to live um spend time with the people we want to spend time with it's about like being fuller um, versions of ourselves, and I think this is so like tied to queerness and like um, you know the LGBT world in um, having the freedom to to be ourselves and not um, not conditional upon the love or approval or validation of anyone.
0: Yeah, and I, I would I would also piggyback off that and say that it's also really connected to the disability community in that like. Thousand percent. Giving them that thousand bucks a month or thirteen hundred bucks a month or whatever it ends up being allows for them to have basic needs met without worrying about. Oh my god, I have to pick one need over the other.
1: Yes, yes. Making that that time money trade off and yeah, I think it's it's so it's so human on so many levels because both um, the disability community and the LGBTQ community are so disproportionately overrepresented um, among. Uh, the poor, hungry, the food insecure, the homeless, mentally yeah. ill, um, yeah. and um, all the social ills that are like downstream really, of poverty, which is just an absence of cash, not character, yeah. um, are so disproportionately rep- represented um, in these communities. So I yeah. completely agree with you.
0: I totally agree with you. And I also love that I didn't notice in the camera before that you're wearing your own button, which I think is <laughs> kind of adorable. And so I need you to... I'll email you after this and you send me one of those so that I can also wear one even though i am in Canada and it's not, it doesn't fly here, but I'll still wear one. I Um, love it. I love it. (laughs) Let's jump into some of my questions that I have for you. So Jonathan, are you somebody with a disability? And if so, can you share with us how that disability has impacted your day-to-day life?
1: It's such an interesting question. um, And I to be honest, have not thought of myself as someone with a disability. Um, But I had this interesting experience a number of years ago where I was strangely in the position of um, like mentoring, supporting, coaching with people with uh, very severe um, um, communication um, and stuttering and speech uh, disabilities. And this organization came and they were kind of training us and doing, um, kind of job interviews and mock interview prep. Um, and it was this bizarre moment where I reframed or rethought what was so deeply embedded in my day-to-day experience and upbringing, something that was always so tacit, um, and could be hidden or consciously obscured, um, that the entire framing of invisible disabilities and just neuroatypicality in general—it totally reframed and um, altered my thinking around um, disabilities as a form of superpower right. and as a form of strength um, and as these um, two sides of bl- blessings and curses that um, lead to extreme empathy and power, but also. Um, Extreme pain simultaneously, yeah. and so the 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 short answer is is no. But 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 there's more to that. Um, in part because I grew up in a family where um, it was highly stigmatized to pathologize. There was a real somatic bias. overcoming and just kind of moving forward and things are phases and, and you know and so on and so forth um so yeah it's cer- certainly an, an evolution but I think the the short of it is I don't I don't uh I don't identify or haven't really claimed that
0: there's a whole lot to unpack there because yeah there is <laughs> for me as like a markedly visibly disabled person given when you when you mentioned to me that you have a bit of a, a stutter my very first thought oh yeah then then he's disabled. I would, I would, and maybe that's, you know, that shows the different points of our journey. I would have said, oh yeah, you're disabled and, and own that. But it's right. interesting. And I think it's also valid that you are maybe not there yet, or maybe you'll never get there, or maybe you're choosing not to. And I think it's important that people recognize that even if you have something that could be seen as a disability, it's okay that if you don't, if you don't want to claim it, that it's that it doesn't make it any less than, but it's, but that, it's a valid position to not have to not claim it as disability.
1: Yeah, and I think this is what's so radical and incredible about the work you do is like leaning into and owning and accepting and loving and and kind of reclaiming that space. Um, but I think maybe ironically to your point, I feel you know it, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, and it feels a little bit disingenuous to to you know to kind of claim. Um, especially when it's such a mild, easily obscurable and hidden um, stutter.
0: Okay, let's jump into that for a minute. My next question was going to be, can you share with us how your stutter impacted your views on queerness? But I want to change that question to ask you, can you share with me how your stutter impacted your views both on queerness and on disability?
1: Yeah, um, another really, really apt um, and kind of searing question in so many ways, because I think that verbal communication and oral communication um, is so deeply embedded and personal to me, but that intersects with being gay and the kind of queer experience. Um, Yeah, like even the the idea of of gay voice and how I we, uh, you know, can can modulate how we present um, sometime. I
0: can't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no, there's no modulation there. I mean,
1: <laughs> so, tri- so, so I'll just speak for myself. But, <laughs> 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 but, but so so at least in, in, in my experience, and um, my kind of journey through, through queerness has been, um, again, the kind of blessing and curse of feeling like I can, and maybe this is a delusion <laughs> because outwardly I may obviously present as like, <laughs> you know, who knows what to whomever. Um, but I know even in, um, in interviews, for example, like if I'm going on, on Fox news on, on live television, I can, I know deliberately and consciously
0: (laughs) You feel like you have to like modulate that more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm, you know, if I'm having, you know, a more casual like (laughs) conversation with my more natural default tone of voice and intonation and cadence um
0: so like right now
1: yeah (laughs) um it is it is very different and so um i think having and growing up and having um being so conscious and deliberate around speech um because the way like a stutter presents is so variant and different um go ahead go
0: can you um describe for me and like like I don't want to make you stutter, but I'm I'm curious. Like, how does how did the stutter present for you?
1: Yeah, and this is also interesting because we're looking at each other, but we're just doing audio, so it's all it's also like an interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a very weird. <laughs> but, like, no one can see what I'm seeing, but I but it, it it does help that we are looking at each other to do this. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and so. In terms of what it feels like, at least again in my experience, because it's so it's so variable of the like three million Americans who have it, which is like um uh so variable and you know, different uh experiences, manifestations, but in my experience, and actually this is quite an opportune moment. <laughs> like you you've caught me at a very vulnerable time where I've pulled a number of all nighters the past like week. All oh, nights. Nice. And so 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 you're
0: just tired enough to make yourself stutter
1: (laughs) well so this is this is one of the um uh like trigger points and kind of weaknesses for me where if i'm more tired more exhausted more spent have used more like executive control and exerted myself um then i have less control over picking a different word or picking a different lead like vowel or consonant avoiding a certain term um because it's just like it's a it's like a physiological thing where like there's a blockage, there's there's a stammering um, and yeah, I mean um it, there's yeah, this is definitely very vulnerable and challenging, and I apologize for being circuitous this because it's the first time I've actually spoken really pretty openly about this,
0: <laughs> oh well, then thank you, and do whatever <laughs> makes you feel the most comfortable, like don't feel like you have to. Perform about it, and then there's no need to feel that like, feel whatever you need to feel. And we like, I was just curious for you how the stutter, how you felt it presented, and how, yeah, and how then you tried to, or if you tried to mask it,
1: yes. So, a thousand percent. Um, and I remember growing up and being in you know, in high school in particular, um, where. Just, you know, a couple of examples that come to mind is, like, some of the simplest tasks, like <laughs> reading off of the smart board, uh, like you'll go around the class and you have to, you know, or just set your name or introduce yourself. Um, in in instances when I felt like out of control, like I'm just a, a participant or like a member of the class or will sit in the U. Um, and I have a script Played out prepared in my mind and it's like a constant state of tension and like (laughs) high stakes because um even if people will say you know their perceptions are x you know or i i know what someone feels and thinks when they are responding to or engaging with someone who has like verbal discontinuity or disfluency
0: yeah there's a Um, there's a there's a there's a misconception that if you stutter, you must be quote unquote stupid, or you must be less intelligent, or you must be silly, or you, there's, I, and I just, you know, hearing you talk about being in the classroom and trying to like code switch your, like, your, the way you spoke and the way you talked, it really reminded me of also being, not so much in high school, but I remember in elementary school, remember when they made us like sit in the room and read, okay, Andrew, you're gonna read this paragraph? I didn't stutter, but I hated it and I had a I had a similar thing where it wasn't a stutter but it was like a nervous laugh which I still sometimes have when I get really nervous. So like right. it was a nervous laugh and like discomfort so I would I would get really nervous when I knew it was my time to read the paragraph. Like it's like oh my god, they're coming to me. They're coming to me. I have to I have to like take a breath and relax. I have to like calm myself and then they would get to me and I would just start giggling and being uncontrollably laughing but not because i wanted to laugh but because i was really stressed about this thing and so not the same thing at all but similar in the pressure of like trying to figure out how to how to how to fit in when when you have a you have vocal discontinuity or or something like that
1: yeah no a thousand percent and i think it's it's so interesting because how it manifests and presents in people differently and so there's a lot of common anecdotes and stories around people who are singers or performers and like um, they may stutter very severely in like speech, but then when they sing, it's like totally fluent. And so my version of this, cause I certainly cannot sing for the life of me, um, is in like public speaking, public communication um, versus like just being like a participant or like called upon. And it's, like, strange and kind of counterintuitive because public speaking is sort of usually the thing that um, maybe, like, induces anxiety or stress or or whatnot. But for me, having that sense of control and, like, being able to commandeer space and, like, (laughs) be... um, uh, Yeah, just kind of be in control of the narrative, the pace, the cadence, um, that gives me great fluency. But when I kind of revert back to the, um, you know, um, kind of tiny little scared (laughs) version of myself um, (laughs) is when in in those times when I feel I have no control or feel um, sort of um, Yeah, just like a participant as opposed to um, kind of leading that space.
0: Right so in when you're in queer spaces like when when if you go to like a gay bar in the village or something <laughs> does that because i am also very confident when i'm up there giving a presentation or a talk or when i'm hosting my award-nominated podcast this one that you're listening <laughs> to right now uh but like when i you know when i'm doing that i know how to be in on the front row and do my job but when i go to like a queer event where you know there are a bunch of other queer people that don't understand my disability or i don't know how to interact with or i'm i'm shy around because i don't look like that i i will get that nervous laughter and that giggle again do you feel a a, a sense of nervousness where you would want to stutter when you're in those spaces or not so much
1: it's it's super interesting i don't know it's like hard for me to even um think about like the idea of like queer spaces (laughs) and like uh like uh that's that's like a a challenge unto its own um but I think really the way it has intersected with like queerness and gay identity and like my kind of gay experience um, has been more with like my own gay voice and my own kind of modulation. Like I think like in gay queer spaces, um, to the extent those ex- <laughs> really exist, yeah, I think it's it's more just like the the control and the the kind of variance in my voice and how I present myself. And um, that's kind of, that's more the way I've thought about it, maybe and experienced so.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, you also mentioned to me in your questionnaire that you grew up in a conservative home as a queer person with, and I wrote this down, but you've kind of challenged me on that already. I said, <laughs> as a queer person with invisible disabilities, I will change that. I'll say as a queer person living with a mild stutter,
1: I mean, either way.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> in, in my head, you're personally living with invisible disabilities, but I want to respect whatever you... No, draw. no, I don't,
1: I don't have any particular claim to it. I just, I don't know what's, you know, kosher. <laughs> okay,
0: I would think that you live with, a, with an invisible disability or sometimes a not so invisible disability because the, the stutter sometimes is exacerbated. Um, so can you share with me what it was like to grow up with... A stutter in a conservative home as a queer person
1: totally um, yes, so I grew up in a conservative immigrant home um, where um, sort of silence <laughs> was the de facto kind of model of operation um, and definitely had you know very conservative parents and um yeah, coming out and, you know, it was a very drawn out, painful, laborious like, process. Um, and um, yeah, I think the sense of overcoming um, and just like fighting those kind of daily battles, both, you know, being closeted and then also feeling like basics of communication and speech were so deliberate and laborious and just um, really taxing uh, both Man. in like presentation and code switching being gay and being closeted but also the code switching and presentation around um, speech um, it just meant that um, again the kind of blessing and the curse of this um, was I over and hyper invested in things I could reap Um, sort of validation (laughs) and kind of freedom Um,
0: so an example of that would would be like
1: education and so I um, invested very 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 heavily I spent basically all my time just doing school Um, and um, to uh, a very insane degree and like graduating first in my class at Harvard in three years and then going straight to business school. Wow that's awesome like a level of like of obsessiveness and just like um hyper control over this one thing that I could be um good at, even exceptional at. Um and um part of the you know the the goal of this campaign this whole kind of movement, especially for, for universal basic income, um, is 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 so deep deeply intimately tied to my own experience and this sense of like um It should not be so impossible. Like being able to feel free and yourself and um kind of un unshackled by like the expectations and like thoughts of of others um and conforming um should not be so impossible and so unbearable. Um it should just be the the default.
0: It should be the Um, standard, yeah, yeah, completely. So you just so that i can kind of wrap up what because you said a lot there so you like you felt like you had to you felt like education was your way to mask freedom yeah yeah but also it was the way to like if you could do that you wouldn't have to focus on the stutter. you wouldn't have to focus on the queerness you wouldn't have to focus on all those pieces
1: right it's like it it was this this thing that um i could control um in a way and there's like some like you know some empirical and anecdotal like research and work on this now the like best little boy in the world hypothesis around like younger gay men in particular and the hyper investment in like very specific domains of extrinsic external validation like whether that's um, like uh, athletics or sports or or school or professional like tracked career paths. Um, um, but i think that was like especially so in the in the type of um home that i grew up in um and also having the sense of you know being underestimated and that 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 very very kind of boulder on your shoulder <laughs> type um mentality that kind of permeated throughout
0: so was the idea of having a stutter in your home would i i'm guessing that wasn't that wasn't accepted like it, you were supposed to to not have that.
1: I think that there 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 were actually interesting parallels to to being gay and that um like it was like oh it's similarly a phase, right? You know, oh you're just you're just tired or <laughs> or you know what what have you. Um and so like all the sort of phases of like denial and you know and so on and so forth. But I think it it, it definitely was thought of and treated similar to um you know, this is, this, this is not a thing. It's like just in your mind.
0: <laughs> so, this, yeah, it's very similar to, to your coming out experience then. Like, you, you're not really queer. You're just. Right, you know, right. It's a phase you're having. <laughs> exactly, your predilection exactly. for hot dudes and tight pants is just. it's it's, it's, fine.
1: <laughs> it's all a choice. It's all a choice, don't you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. That, that, that
1: fateful day we all chose.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one day I decided that I'd just, like, dick over everything else.
1: I know, I know. Jeez, man. <laughs>
0: right? Exactly. Okay, um, so I am Canadian, so I know that you're running for Congress, and I kind of know what it is, but I don't know a lot about it, Um, which is, and I, first of all, you're running for Congress, which is, like, I know, that's a big fucking deal, so congrats on that. Like, holy shit shitballs. Yeah.
1: Holy shitballs, indeed.
0: Can you tell me more, a little bit about, more about your run for Congress specifically and how you think disability is treated in American politics?
1: Totally. Um, so most recently um, I kind of dropped everything and moved out to Iowa to build Andrew Yang's campaign out there um, who ran for, for president um, on a universal basic income. <laughs> And that was my first foray as a formerly fairly politically homeless, disengaged um, person. Um, and that just activated this deep sense of, of urgency in me. And what Congress means is there are uh, basically 435 representatives for districts across the country in the United States, within the 50 states. And in New York, there are 700 Um, 30, 750,000 people who live on the west side of Manhattan and South Brooklyn in my case. Um, and on a federal level, um, in the federal government in DC, um, there's like two houses that there's, there's a house in the Senate and every two years, someone is elected to represent these districts. Uh, this clustering of three quarters of a million people in my case in New York. Um, to represent their interests in the federal government in D.C. Um, so that's what I'm doing and running for, um, in large part because the issues we're talking about, um, whether that be like disability rights, LGBT equality, um, the automation of, of labor and passing like a universal basic income or universal healthcare, this is all stuff that can really um, mainly be done at a federal level. Um, because of the way the American government is kind of set up.
0: <laughs> it's, a shit um, and- show. it's a shit show, but yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, and then in terms of how it plays into politics, I think you'd mentioned um, Joe Biden. He's kind of one of the most um, top mind examples, at least in recent memory, of um having a stutter or like verbal discontinuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was rereading, there was a John Hendrickson piece um in The Atlantic, um, and he he put it really well. He said, stuttering feels like a series of betrayals. Um and I think that is just so apt. And I think for me, even on a on a (laughs) on a on a broader scale, like my, my upbringing, my childhood felt like a series of betrayals in, in many ways.
0: Well, it's um, deep.
1: <laughs> but but I think that that's uh, just a really like accurate description of um, it's it's all, it's, you know, or there's kind of this like iceberg model of it where, you know, 80% of it is kind of below the surface and within the person and intrapersonal. Um, and then you might see like um, an external manifestation and like a blocking or like a weird mouth movement or um, like a repeating of a certain, you know, vowel or letter or part of a word. But um, 80% of the action is happening kind of behind the scenes. (laughs) Um,
0: It's like, it's like that swan analogy where like the swan is beautiful. It's great up top. And then, underneath the legs doing all the work to keep things moving
1: (laughs) right it's like barely trying to stay afloat yeah (laughs) yeah um but again i think that's just on the kind of superficial level of politicians and politics but um i mean disability is certainly short shrifted and underinvested and um um i mean all the all the areas we've talked about you know like one in three people with the with a disability in the United States, either can't meet their basic healthcare needs or can't afford them, um, and so you know politicians, you know themselves, are um, just a tiny fraction of the <laughs> like real harm and real need um, that is so pervasive.
0: Yeah, totally. And I I think that the American poli- political system really needs to do like all the every system, not just America, but especially America right now needs to do a lot more to serve the disability community. Um, and I think that they could just do so much more and they're not doing enough. I think especially, I mean, we're recording this during the Corona times. Oh yeah. Calling them that because that's what they are. Um, and so we're seeing that disparity, those disparities so much more now.
1: Absolutely. And and, and that's that's the reality of natural disasters of war, of cataclysmic, tectonic events like this pandemic where the people who are hurt the most and most vulnerable um, are the people who are already disenfranchised, so the poor, people of color, people with disabilities. Um, it just exacerbates and accelerates um, the inequities um, that are structural and they just get even shown uh, you know, further for, for kind of what they are um, yeah. when, yeah, people are literally dying
0: literally i mean that's literally what's happening right now but um (laughs) but so other than what we've kind of already talked about what do you think more needs to be done when it comes to disability in, in american politics like what and we've kind of touched on some stuff already but what what else do you think we need to be doing that we're not doing for disabled people
1: yeah i think um you know andrew had kind of um brought to the fore and kind of spoken openly Um, about his son with with autism um, and uh, the need to fully fund and invest in not just universal rights of citizenship like a basic income and healthcare and public financing of elections and um, to make the government more responsive in itself, but like specifically um, investing and responding to the needs of disabled people because I just love the way um, we were able to, or he, he was able to reframe it, and that you've, you know, really done as well, which is it's a superpower. Um, and especially in times like these, um, um, I think someone put it as like, we need people and minds that are highly neuroatypical, mm-hmm. <laughs> like able to work against the grain, able to um, go counter narrative, counter cyclical and innovate and create and what people with disabilities do every day day in day out by sheer kind of necessity is create and innovate and find new paths and new solutions um because they have no choice
0: (laughs) yeah i agree with you I i totally agree with you there i also think it's interesting that both you know, you've you've mentioned it a couple times in this interview. You've said that disability is a superpower. A lot of disability activists would hear what you and there, anybody who's a disability activist listening right now might be like, "Oh no!" Like, okay. And I I I'm curious, like, because that language is that language is very tenuous. In that, when people say superpower, they think they mean they think the person means like overcoming, and you have to like overcome and do all these amazing feats just to get by. But what you're saying is, what you're saying is I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, disability is like, it's a superpower in that you can use your skills as a disabled person to create change and to move things along because you're a disabled person and because you're disabled, you know how to do certain things differently. And we should, we should be uplifting those skills.
1: 1000%. And and it goes even beyond just you know oh this is value additive and it's it's increasingly necessary because we're we're going through a time more generally where uh, the institutions and systems of decades that we've taken for granted um, at least in American democracy are crumbling are completely collapsing <laughs> beneath um, beneath their their weight um, and um, it's like people. Who are divergent really um, are increasingly necessary in this time because we need real acceleration, real change, real substantive structural change, and um, that um, that can and you know is often driven by highly highly atypical people <laughs> yeah. and 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 minds and ideas.
0: Um, I feel like you should call yourself if you're comfortable. I feel like you should call yourself divergent instead of disabled. (laughs) Because it almost sounds sounds like sexier. I'm not disabled. I'm I'm divergent. It almost sounds like hotter. Um, So I love that you worked on Andrew Yang's campaign. uh, And I think it's really cool. And I love that he and the people that worked on the campaign really advocated for UBI. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the interview. Um, UBI is something that... Like I said, we trialed in in little towns in Ontario for about a year, I think I want to say I could be totally wrong, a few months back in I think 2018 2019. People loved it. It was a great thing for the few months that it was trialed. People got a thousand a thousand or thirteen bucks thirteen hundred bucks a month to just live totally totally scot free whether they were working or not. They got this money and the influx of of stories that I hear from people on the like. That trial this that said, said, Oh, I got to, I got a chance to live my life and to feel free. Um when Andrew Yang kind of brought this to the fore, what did people think when he was like, Hey, I wanna, I wanna talk about this, I wanna do this?
1: <laughs> yeah, so when I um uh, yeah, I mean he was definitely um and the idea of a universal basic income um, was definitely seen of seen as cookie out there, impossible—something <laughs> um, that um, you know we could we can never possibly achieve. Um, and the strange, tragic reality now is that what seems politically impossible can become the inevitable in times of crisis. Um, where now you have people from AOC to members of the Trump administration, from um. Uh, Rashida Tlaib and Adam Schiff to Justin Amash and Mitt Romney <laughs> from all walks of life because the urgency and the need and the crisis is such that in the United States, 10 million people have now filed um, for
0: unemployment. And wow. That, it was 6.6 million the other day. It's 10 million now.
1: That, that like barely scratches the surface. Cause these are just like the reported data that we know of. Yeah. And like the, the, the need and the suffering is, is so great that, um, the ideas that are out there, the ideas that have bubbled up enough to the mainstream consciousness in time, suddenly can be brought to the table. Um, and yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy. It 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 just shows the um, again the the importance of <laughs> like persisting and, and, and fighting for what you believe is is so important, um, irrespective of you know, what the kind of dominant Uh, you know, cultural or kind of mainstream view of it maybe at the time.
0: As somebody with a stutter, and notice I didn't say somebody with a disability. I just said stutter because I'm I'm, (laughs) I know we're ambiguous about that term. But as somebody with a stutter, I would say disability. But you can choose the language you want. Um, How do you think that universal basic income will or could impact or benefit disabled Canadians, I almost say Canadians well, them too, but particularly um, disabled Americans, how do you think that they can, what do you think universal basic income, let me start the whole line of questioning again, what, what do you think the universal basic income can do for disabled people worldwide?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it is just a first step. It is just a foundation. It is by, by no means the solution or the answer or some panacea or magic silver bullet. Um, but it is, I think again, just like, um, but to have, um, the, the, the empowerment of, of agency (laughs) and of like, um, if you want to start your business or start your podcast or, um, you know, be like, pursue your passion and interest, um, or, um, you know, take take care of yourself or take care of, of others around you. Like so much um, of the, the uncompensated, unrecognized work done right now in society is all the caretaking work, all the work that is nurturing and coaching and teaching and giving. And, you know, this, the most important work that keeps, you know, our society together and it's going to become increasingly more important as we automate away more and more of the most common jobs. So, to me, it's it's fundamental. It's like the most transformative, impactful um, thing we could do as a first step, as a floor, as a foundation. Um, and um, that is especially so for um, the most vulnerable the most disenfranchised um, and in the disability community in particular.
0: I mean, I think in terms of the disability community, it also says a lot about if, if, if UBI becomes the standard, it says a lot about, we give a shit about you, disabled yeah. community. like we care that you exist and we care enough to make sure that regardless of your, of your workability in this fucked up yeah. capitalist world we live in, we're going to make sure that you can put food on your own table if you wanted to. We're going to make sure that you can take those that fancy vacation if you save up and up. We're going to make sure that every month you don't have to worry about living in abject poverty and living below the poverty line. And I think it would send a huge message to disabled people worldwide, but particularly in America right now, because your president is a fucking <laughs> huge bag. particularly to disabled Americans it would say, we actually, you know, we value you. And here's and yeah. to, to show yeah. that we care about you and we care about the struggles you're going through here's something to help you get a leg up
1: yeah no i think you you put it so much better than i did which is it's it's uh it's a fundamental belief that human value is not the same as economic value that we all have intrinsic value as humans as people um and it's so radical to have like unconditional love and value for all people regardless of employment regardless of income or market valuation but um you know more and more people are realizing that 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 is not in the not a them issue that's an us issue that's an all of us issue yeah Um, because the market is zeroing out more and more and more people whether you were you know working in manufacturing at the plant or you were driving a truck for a living or you're working at retail as a cashier or you know as a server or or waiter i mean the most common jobs in the American economy, at least fifty percent of all people work in some form of manufacturing, administrative, clerical, food service, truck driving, um, or transportation. Um, and that's half of all work.
0: So and I bet you half of them have disabilities, invisible exactly. or otherwise.
1: And 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 this is exactly what happened. Is in the years leading up to the twenty sixteen election, um, you know, in the decade and a half or so, we. Blasted away millions of manufacturing jobs and communities. And by economic theory, they should have adapted, adjusted, reskilled, moved for, you know, for higher um, economic value. Half of those people left the workforce, half of those filed for disability. And we saw surges in the United States of suicides, drug use, and overdose to the point where our life expectancy, our life expectancy. See, in the United States, this is before the pandemic <laughs> was yeah. declining for three years in a row, for yeah. the first time in a century since the Spanish flu, um, and this was all the kind of foundation, the floor upon which we now have this um, COVID pandemic. Uh, this was all, you know, um, a decade and a half plus in in the making, and to your point, is so intimately tied to filing for disability, having disability claims. Um, and losing that sense of purpose and place and, um, like, vitality in people's community.
0: Also, just, just you know, the little bit that I know about U.S., the U.S. SSI system and how fucked up it is, if we implemented UBI in the U.S., you know, it wouldn't be tied to this capitalist idea of you have to work in order for us to give you a handout. And I just think that, you know, because, you know, I talk to disabled people all the time on this podcast who create on my Twitter who create things and who, who, you know, who are working, but not in a, not in a nine to five job kind of way. They're freelancing, they're working for themselves. They're doing, you know, anything they can to make ends meet. They're, they're, you know, painting and creating things. They're being super creative, but, but the workforce says, Oh, that's not a real job. That's a hobby you're doing.
1: Yep. Yeah. One, 1,000%. 1, that is, I mean, and this is, this is Democrats and Republicans alike. The means testing is so baked into the ethos of you have to prove you're poor enough. You have to prove you're disabled enough. You have to prove you're, you're, you're worthy of, <laughs> um, of having that your, your, your basic needs met. And that proof will constantly be audited and checked in on. And that rug will be pulled out from underneath you. If you ever, um, get healthier get a job uh <laughs> somehow improve your condition so yeah, yeah if
0: you di- if you dare to strike the system and do right. what, we, what we're telling you to do which is to pull up your bootstraps right if you dare to right. do that you're then somehow the villain
1: then exactly exactly
0: um has i just had to, see this is why i think and I, I i know you're on a journey of figuring out how you want to claim your invisible disability or not, but I think, you know, I will
1: let you guide this journey for me. (laughs) All right.
0: Well, then then I will guide it into into this question. I feel like you really should come out as somebody with an invisible disability when you, if you know, when slash AF slash when you get into Congress, because I think for people to look at that and go, Oh, there's somebody with a disability. There's somebody with maybe not as visible as everybody else out there. Or, you know, it's a different manifestation for you, but at least if you've said, Hey, I'm somebody with an invisible disability, and this matters to me. It, I think it would send a huge message to to people being like, "Hey, there's me in Congress with a disability, and they they are showing that this population matters too.
1: yeah, i I love it. I so appreciate it. Um, it's you know a lot of it, you know thanks to uh, you know the courage and like you know of, of you and, and so many you know so many others. Um, but I love it and if, and if it has your your check of approval then I'm like cool, oh, great
0: <laughs> I mean it's checked and stamped I approve um did no because disability is something you're kind of still like working through and getting yeah comfortable I'll- with so I had a question for you is there too many questions about disability you want to ask me that I can t- talk to you about
1: oh wow okay um,
0: I did not write this down. I was just like, I'm going to ask no, it out.
1: No, that's 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 totally fair. I, I love it. Um, I guess I'm curious because, you know, there, there definitely is, there are different, like, mantras and communities and perspectives and takes on it. And you have a very distinctive one. I, like, what was your evolution and process? And, like, um, what led you to have, you know, your your certainty and... How did you land
0: on where you are now? Oh, I have, n- I, let me be very clear. I have no certainty. I'm, I, am, <laughs> I, I, you know, becoming, making myself a public figure was not a choice. It was, I need to make money and this is,
1: Right. I right. know
0: how to do this. And so I guess this is what I'll do. It was not right. something that I was like, I'm going to be a star. I mean, tr- I, mean <laughs> I am queer and I do like the spotlight and I like <laughs> attention. So, I mean, it was, sort of already baked trade in there, but it wasn't something... Like, my evolution of disability politic is still happening. And depending on the situation that I'm in and depending on the room I'm in and depending on who I'm talking to, it changes and shifts and sways and moves. And so I don't think that that I'm always right. And I don't think that I'm always, like, on the right side of disability politic or the wrong side. I'm just... I go with wherever it is depending on who I'm talking to. And I think that's something Mm -hmm. that... I think people that come into disability politics need to remember is that like, or, or try to imbue disability into their politics. It really depends on the context of where you are. Who are you mm-hmm. with? What are you talking about? What community are you talking to? Because something that I find appropriate, somebody else might say, oh no, I don't like that. That doesn't work for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's why. And I think people, when they talk about disabled people and the disabled experience, they get stuck with very particular Types of language they they've been told that is appropriate to use. Mm-hmm. So in right, right,
1: right. disability
0: politics, the language that we are told is appropriate is "person with disabilities." Right, right. And I would say that's very nice, and you can use that if you choose to. And if somebody came up to me and said that's how I want to be re- referred to, I wouldn't stop them. But I think right. I think all the politicians should say, you know, all the people that are that are talking about disability in their politics should ask how do you want me to refer to this? Mm-hmm. How would you like me to talk about this? What is the language you want me to use
1: right, for right. you?
0: And then it's then it's a sign of respect. It says, oh, you give a shit about where I am in my disability journey enough to ask me, just like we're doing with trans and non-binary and those communities. We're saying, hey, what are your pronouns? We should also be saying, hey, like, what, is, what is your disability identifier? And when I talk about you, in Congress today, what language should I use? And when I talk about, you know, what what should I say? And I think asking those questions from a political standpoint would change the game, particularly in America, because it would say that these different communities that make up disability in America and the world, but particularly America, because that's where you are, it would say that you give a shit about us and you give a shit about that each disability community may have a different view.
1: Right, right, yeah. So on the whole, would you say that, um, for instance, that that split between person with disability versus disabled, like, would you say um, one is more representative or, like, if you did, like, a random sample, <laughs> like, of the disabled community, um, like, which do you think would, would hold more water um, outside of the, like, bullshit of politics?
0: I mean, I think it really depends on the person. I can't say right. each, each person. Like, I personally, and my listeners know this, I like to be called a queer cripple when I'm with people that really know me and know my experience. I like queer cripple. And somebody, if I said, hey, cripple to another disabled person, they might freak (laughs) the fuck out. So like, but at the same time, you know, there's there's a movie on Netflix right now called Crip Camp. So like, it really depends on who you're talking to. And it depends on like, you know, so I don't think, we can choose one or the other i think before we talk about disability in any context we have to stop and consider who's in the room we have to consider who we're talking to and pick pick a language that is universal for everybody in that moment but i think i think it's okay to say disabled person for me personally but that it again depends on who you're who you're in the room with
1: totally yeah makes
0: sense um is there anything any other burning disability questions that you were like i want to i need to know this though
1: oh i don't know i mean there's so many but i'm like curious about your shirt too my shirt
0: says my shirt is from my friend whose name i'm blanking on but hannah sawyer is her name and the shirt says this body is worthy and she created the shirt to talk about different bodies and like fat bodies and queer bodies and bodies of color and then Disabled yeah. bodies, and she's disabled, and she's great. And I highly recommend that everybody go get a shirt from thisbodiesworthy.com. <laughs> I
1: love it. I love it.
0: Um, great. This is a great interview, and thank you for schooling me on U.S. politics a little bit. And <laughs> thanks for coming to talk about your your. I was going to say invisible disability, but <laughs> I'm going to say your stutter and how that impacted your experience. Because I think that's something we don't talk about enough. And I don't think we talk enough about invisible disabilities and the, the struggles of code switching and trying to navigate that. So thank you for sharing that story.
1: Well, thank thank you. Really, thank you for your, your leadership and courage on this. Um, and thanks for your patience and generosity with me and my um, again, this is very like new to me. Um very new to discussing openly because it was so heavily stigmatized and so beyond the pale of you know uh, conversation, um, and so it's definitely just the first step. Um, and so appreciate you for uh, for taking me through that journey. <laughs> I'm Monday so one. happy!
0: I'm <laughs> so happy that I could do that, and, and I don't. Like, I think also just to end to put a nice button on it. I think it's okay that it's new. I think I think yeah. also that it's okay that you might have questions. And I think it's okay that you might be uncomfortable. I think I would recommend as like a as like someone who's kind of been in the disability space a bit longer, I would recommend that you sit with the discomfort, like feel that out, because I think that discomfort is important. It tells yeah. you what you're afraid of around disability politic and that's important because we often when we talk about disability, we tend to say, "Oh no, don't be afraid of it. It is what it is, and you're totally fine." But that fear right. that that discomfort you're feeling, I think, yeah. is important to navigate.
1: Totally, absolutely.
0: Um, and on that note, Jonathan Herzog, <laughs> how do the people? How can the people get a hold of you and follow your work?
1: Oh yes, to follow the great work, Herzog2020.com, Herzog twenty twenty H e r z o g two zero two zero dot com. And I guess social media, uh, depending on your vibe, there's Twitter, um, Jonathan Herzog5, um, Instagram, Jonathan Herzog2020, there's Facebook, um, and I'm sure there's more. But yeah, Herzog2020.com is the the website.
0: I will make sure all those things are in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Jonathan Herzog, thank you so much for today. This was great. You're awesome. Uh I this was a great interview and I really hope we can keep chatting.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. You're the best.
0: That was great. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Um.
0: All right, friends. This has been another edition of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm of course your number one career cribble and your Disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgurza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at it's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in disaftdarkpod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright notice 2020.